Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean schnook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life. Mm-hmm. And you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hey, good evening and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest. Dwayne England coming to you live from the Fish Hunt Northwest studio here in Olympia, Washington. Yep, flying solo tonight. Tommy decided to take a little hiatus. He is actually on his... Final hunt of the season, on the road, traveling somewhere. Uh, he's out, going to get it done, his final hunt of the season. So you have me this evening to get through the show, and trust me, we have a lot to get through. Had a fantastic week off last week. Hopefully you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, Shing and I hit the road. We spent a little time in Wyoming, and let me tell you, driving to Wyoming, dry conditions, sunshine, mid-50 to 60 degrees, in Wyoming when you're approaching December is almost unheard of. We ran into no snow, no weather. Getting out of the weather here on this west side, this wet side, was uh, it was a breath of fresh air to get out and about. So hopefully you all enjoyed your holiday uh, getting through Thanksgiving with friends and family. And we are back here in the studio live as we are each and every Thursday night, 6 p.m., with the exception of the holidays. So uh, glad to be back. Tons of info to get through. You know, uh, you leave for a week or take a two-week uh, break between shows, and a lot goes down. Things happening with the commission. Steelhead decisions have been made. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover tonight. But before we get into all that, I want to uh, talk about a few things that we can actually be out doing uh, in regards to or in reflection of some of these closures that we're up against and some of the things that have been taken away from us as of late. So let's get into that. How about uh, some clamming? You know, we got the next set of clam dates that have been announced. We have approved dates, a total of 20 days 
through the rest of December, if you can believe that, actually started <clears throat> on the 1st of December. Your first set of tides that you get to go clamming on are uh, the 1st through the 9th, and then the 15th through the 23rd, and then ultimately finishing out on the 30th and 31st of December. 20 days, 20 limit clams still, uh, because there's so many. We have well over 20 million clams to harvest, and it's just been absolutely lights out. So hopefully, you've been taking advantage of it. Uh, between the rainstorms, you know, the weather's been pretty mild temperature-wise, so it's not a bad thing to get the family out there and go after some clams. Uh, PM tides only for the remainder of the month or getting through the rest of the season. You can find all the regulations. Go to wdfw.wa.gov.news, and you're going to find all the information available relative to the clam digs, okay? Uh, hey, I want to let everybody know, we put it on our Facebook page. We, Even though we have a reduced or minimized steelhead season at hand okay we do have some fishing opportunity yeah we're going to walk through this whole thing here in a little bit <clears throat> but that being said we do have some opportunity and they've asked us to put together a seminar a steelhead seminar down at sportco uh, that'll be december 11th so just a little over a week and a half december 11th 11 a.m to 1 p.m myself my buddy jp of jp's guide service uh Joey Princeton will be down there. You know, we're going to have to go at it this year. We'll take what we can get. Bank fishing uh, is something we'll be doing. We do have some opportunity to fish from boats. But, you know, my presentation is going to mostly focus on not necessarily the new to uh, steelhead fishing, but some of the some of the basics that I'm going to get into. We're going to start off with some uh, basics on reading water because especially if we're bank fishing and walking up to a particular spot or getting out of a boat, you know, reading water is really where it all starts at. So I'm going to break down some ideals that I've had and how I approach a piece of water or a system to take full advantage and not waste my time fishing water that is not going to hold fish. So we'll talk about reading water. Uh, we'll talk about some basics in presentation. And uh, actually, we'll even talk a few of my favorite uh, go-to baits nowadays. We do have some opportunity in certain areas of this state where steelhead fishing will be happening and you can use bait it's not a full-on bait closure everywhere so uh things to think about dialing in the basics uh find all the information on our facebook page uh we'll be doing that seminar december 11th hope to see you there also want to remind folks hey come on out join us for our first annual fish hunt northwest with shelby ross ross outdoor adventures duck and goose hunt december 22nd Still a few spaces available, and this is a smoking deal. Lodging, dinner, uh, a guided hunt with lunch provided, all of that inclusive for $350 only. Myself and Tommy will be there. Dakota Porman just got a hold of me today. He's joining us. going to bring his guitar, be playing some music. It's going to be a great time. Really looking forward to it. We did it on a Wednesday, December 22nd. Thereby, if the ducks have uh, left, we get a change in weather, and there's just not a lot of duck activity. Shelby's going to set us up in the ground blinds for the uh, goose hunt. So either way, it's going to be a successful hunt, going to be a great time. If you've never been over there to Potholes and haven't checked out Shelby Ross and Ross Outdoor Adventures, be sure to do so. We have a few spots left available. Call Shelby Ross at Ross Outdoor Adventures, 509-750-7763. Give them a call. Tell them you're with Fish Hunt Northwest. Want to do the group rate, and we hope to see you over there. It's going to be a really good time. Looking forward to that. Um, with that, also want to remind folks, hey, as we approach the finale of the holiday season here, rolling into Christmas a few weeks down the road, man, make sure you get some of your fisherman's brew, coffee, no better way to start the day, the Christmas morning, or even to utilize as gifts. This is a very reasonably priced uh, amount of coffee that you can give 
for gifts for the holidays. And every bag you buy, 5% of that money is going into salmon recovery here in the state of Washington. There's no downside to that. And the coffee tastes fantastic. You can get the steelhead blend or the king salmon blend. Go to fishermansbrew.com. Check out what they have to offer. They're continuing to build their brand, build their small business. And we here at Fish Out Northwest really like to help support local small business that gives back into what it is we all really love to do, and that's to get out fishing when we can. So uh, check them out, fishermansbrew.com. Order a couple bags for gifts if you don't use them yourself, and uh, help us out. Help us grow their brand. Help uh, Help us in salmon recovery. Appreciate that. All right, running down the show. We've got a busy show lined up for tonight. All kinds of uh, all kinds of things to discuss. Making sense, if we can, making sense of the 2021-2022 steelhead season, uh, if that's possible. Hopefully, answering some questions that are still out there and kind of breaking it down, explaining it as much as I can for you. Uh, if you go ahead and fire off some questions during that, uh, that's perfectly fine. I'll try to uh, circle back and get uh, get to those if we can. Also, you may not be a bear hunter, but uh, why the stop to the uh, spring bear hunt is important to you. And a look at our current commission. Um, we are going to we are going to delve into this. There was some more movement today with the commission, and uh, we have some serious things and uh, issues to discuss. So I'm going to lay it out there for you: what this stop of the spring bear hunt means to you as an avid outdoors person. And why you need to pay attention, I'm going to give you my two cents on what I think of our current commission as it currently sits. So maybe hold on to your seat and get ready for that because I'm going to let it out later tonight. Uh, Brian Lynn, Vice President Communications and Marketing at Sportsmen's Alliance. Brian's going to jump on the phone. Phenomenal individual in the realm of conservation and opportunity for recreational hunting and how we utilize that in the presence of uh, management. So Brian's got a few things to say, not just looking at the recent moves of the commission relative to the bear hunt and now what's going on in the Blues Mountain Range, but, you know, an overall national perspective, how that national lens is, is focused now on Washington State. And some of these moves the commission is making, that makes it very difficult to be a, an avid outdoors person here in Washington State. going to finally uh, close out the show with Brett Rosen. You know Brett. Uh, he's been on the show before, president of Fish Northwest. We've had some uh, major major moves in the uh, in their lawsuits. Okay, we've had some major moves in their lawsuits that are in the positive in some decisions handed down by judges and where this thing is going. Got some exciting news coming from Brett again. Brett Rosen, president of Fish Northwest, he's going to join us later in the show. So with all that, we got a ton of information to jump through and get to. I'm going to do my very best to present this steelhead information, kind of break it down. Hopefully, you find some understanding. I have a few questions as to where things have landed and what the future holds as we move forward. So we're going to get into all that. I'm going to jump out for a quick break. We come back. It's, uh, it's me and you, and we'll walk through the steelhead season as it's been constructed, and we'll try to make sense of that right here at Fish Hunt Northwest. Sportco and Outdoor Emporium is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975 providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer, offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. 
With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips. Or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Hey, welcome back. Fish Hunt Northwest. Wayne England sitting here solo in studio. Not to worry. We're going to get through this. Ton of information, tons of information to get through if I can talk right this evening. Hey, just got a message here from uh, the boys at Fisherman's Brew. Through the holiday season, all the way through the end of the year, 15% off your Fisherman's Brew coffee for the holidays. So uh, use code HOLIDAY15 at checkout. HOLIDAY15 at checkout. You're going to save 15% on Fisherman's Brew. All right, uh, Over the Rail, presented by Defiance Marine. Everything you need in the realm of boats and repair at defiancemarine.com. So the other day, uh, the news came out uh, ahead of, uh, you know, the, 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 the director actually signing off on it, but uh, they had their fourth installment. WDFW had the fourth installment of the town hall, Steelhead Virtual Town Hall, uh, fourth of four in the finalization as they had come to agreement and we'll get into that, uh, come to agreement with the co-managers, and ultimately we're presenting the information. Uh, they let a few folks kind of talk in about it, but for the most part, it was it was said and done. The, the information they presented, hey, that's where this thing is going. And uh, sure enough, uh, Director Siswin uh, signed off on it a day or two later, and it's, uh, it's now been rubber stamped, and we are off and running. So uh, basically in their press release, they had... Uh, put it out there amid a forecast of low returns, WDFW and tribal co-managers at the Ho Tribe, Quileute Tribe, and the Quinault Indian Nation announced restrictions to sport and tribal fishing on Washington coastal rivers. These measures are aimed to protect wild steelhead. And I want you guys to key in on a couple things here. Restrictions to sport and tribal. We're going to get into that. And also the protection of wild steelhead populations provide sport fishing opportunity where possible and support tribal treaty rights. Okay, so uh, yes, in fact, that is exactly what they uh, have put out there and that's the direction we are heading with a few things in the air. Trust me, my phone's been blowing up for the last 48 hours or so. Lots of discussions with lots of people and I do not have all the answers, but I have a number of them and we're trying to get through those tonight. Effective yesterday, December 1st, 2021 through April 30th, 2022, both tribal and state fisheries will close in the Chehalis River and its tributaries, as well as the Hump Tulips River. Yes, this includes all tributaries uh, within those systems. Originally, it had come out to say Chehalis River, and that's really what led to a lot of phone calls. When they say Chehalis River or Chehalis Basin, we're talking all tributaries. So yes, uh, Wainuchi, Satsip, Skookumchuk, and a handful of others, and all tributaries to the hump tulips. Uh, the numbers are are low concerning and we cannot afford encounters, was what uh, WDFW stated. As many fish as possible need to get to the gravel. Okay, so is there any positive takeaway from this, uh, this type of agreement? Well, I can tell you for the first time that I can recall, look, if the numbers are that dire straight in the Chehalis Basin, in the hump tulips region, and they do a full-on closure, 
And, you know, social media is what it is. And a lot of folks were weighing in to say, this is BS. We're going to be on the sidelines again. And those net, those damn nets will be in the river, okay? Well, this is the first time in a long time that I can recall, if and ever, that we have a full-on agreement with the co-managers. No nets will be in any of these uh, rivers, these main stems, Chehalis, Hump Tulips. There will be no targeted steelhead from December 1 all the way through the end of April. That is, uh, that is a huge red flag. A red flag in a sense that if that's the drastic measures we're going to, we should have some serious conservation concerns in the realm of our wild steelhead populations. Okay, and I want to emphasize wild. <clears throat> so there is no fishing for anybody in these systems on this south portion of the coast, which if that's, you know, to me it's a band-aid approach. We'll kind of get into some things moving forward, but it's a band-aid approach when you put recreational anglers on the sidelines. Because catch and release mortalities are way over projected, uh, the encounter rate is what it is. But I just—it's a band-aid approach. We're not going to see tons of steelhead coming back in the next two to three years just because we're not fishing. So there's a lot more work to do here. Um, but we're talking wild steelhead in the preservation of wild steelhead. And my only rub in this decision for this basin right out here in Chehalis and Hump Tulips is that, in fact. We had agreed to fisheries with the co-managers getting through December, the end of December on our coho. And look, unless you've been under a rock, the coho fishing this season has been monumental. We've had a return of coho since August uh, throughout the state that has just been a mind blow. And the opportunities as of late in between the highs and lows of the water system uh, conditions that we've been faced with has been absolutely lights out. Not to mention, as we get into December, now we have some really nice-sized coho finally getting into our uh, terminal fisheries. Some of these tributaries have some of the biggest coho we've seen in years. And folks are being very successful in finding these hatchery fish. Uh, not to mention that a few of these rivers that we've, we're speaking of have a, uh, a historical late uh, hatchery coho run that everybody looks forward to. And when it's a season where all we can keep is hatchery fish, at least you go, well, we get into December. We do have that late hatchery run that we can look forward to. Guides can continue to book trips because we look forward to those coho. I get it. We start, you know, getting that front edge, that front edge push of uh, steelhead. But really, what are the numbers of that front edge? I watched a lot of the presentations. And I'll tell you, you know, James Losey is dialed on his numbers in his presentation. The guy goes to great lengths to put that information together. And he does a fantastic job. But my takeaway from that, and I could be wrong, my takeaway from that was the fact that the, uh, the push of wild steelhead was isolated to a few tributaries amongst these systems that are completely closed. If we can gauge the fact that some of these, the front edge of these wild fish that dare enter the system in December, and the numbers cannot be that, that high. If it's into a few tributaries, why can't we get through the month of December on the agreed to fisheries, target the coho, retain any hatchery steelhead that we get, because predominantly the big push of steelhead in December, we all know is going to be hatchery marked fish, and they are put in there for the taking. This also helps in the, uh, in the long run of conservation, keeping those hatchery fish off the gravel if they stray and don't go uh, directly to the hatchery. So I'm not, you know, I'm on board with this conservation effort. I'm not on board with the December closure. I think we could have bumped that to January 1. I think we would have had a safe fishery. I think if the co-managers would have continued to put their nets in, in, uh, in the Chehalis and the lower hump, and they had high encounter rates of wild fish, we could make an emergency closure declaration at that point 
and uh, move forward. But I, I, I would have been surprised, to be honest, if we would have seen a large push of wild fish in December in either of those rivers, okay? Um, historically, the co-managers, here, here's, here's kind of where it goes. If you pay attention to, to net schedules, you would know that in, in past histories, past years, the co-managers will abruptly halt their salmon fishery, targeted salmon fishery, and like in the Shehala system, they'll put out a schedule five days a week that usually starts about the third week of November, and it will be their targeted steelhead fishery. Now, history also proves that, you know, them targeting five and six pound Wainuchi steelhead hatchery fish, those early fish, is not truly the, the end game. The bycatch at times of seven to one, in some regards, of big, wild, and hatchery coho compared to those small steelhead is really the, the opportunity of choice. And having sat on committee years ago, recognizing what was truly going on, we talked about this time and time again. Uh, at that time, different persons in charge, the department didn't really want to pay attention to the, to the non-targeted species, coho, even though it was the higher percentage of the take. So my point there is the co-managers would initiate their steelhead fishery about the third week of November. Uh, which is fine. So they're gauging the river as to what's truly coming in. What's the historical data show? What percentage of wild steelhead are we truly up against in the month of December? I am one that would be in the camp of, I would like to see this implemented January 1 versus where we landed. So, but we are where we are. And uh, it's unfortunate because we had a great opportunity for coho and early hatchery steelhead in this basin for the month of December. Um, one thing I want to point out, the state-managed steelhead sports fisheries also closed Quinault and Queets rivers. State-managed fisheries closed Queets and Quinault, okay? The co-managers have opted to say, we are going to fish. This is important for you guys to understand. The closures on the Chehalis Basin and the Hump Tulips is an agreed-to fishery, agreed-to closure. The Queets and the Quinault is a not-agreed-to fishery. The state has conservation concerns and says we're not fishing. That's why it's close to recreational. The upper Quinault above the lake, not going to be open for recreational. The tribes have said we feel our numbers are strong and we're going to conduct our fisheries to include their gillnet fisheries and, of course, their guides who uh, run trips on those said rivers will be conducting trips. Now, if you're one in the camp of, well, the state's closing a lot of our opportunity, I'm going to finally go do a fishing trip with a Quinault guide or I'm going to do a walk-in trip on the salmon, which is a tributary to the Queets. You can do that. Just understand that the state feels there's a conservation concern, and the tribes are going to go ahead and fish that no matter what. They don't, they don't seem to care in that regard. The state's going to sit back and just kind of go, well, we'll see what happens in these two rivers. We have a conservation concern. Recreational persons are not going to fish. You guys feel like you're going to fish. Go ahead. We'll see how this ends up. Okay, will they meet escapement? Uh, now, look. Everybody knows the Quinaults run the hatchery programs and the broodstock programs very successfully on the Queets and the Quinault system. You can't, there's no denying that. Some of the biggest steelhead produced year in and year out come from that Quinault system. Uh, credit to them for running such, you know, uh, fantastic hatchery programs and broodstock programs. Um, but the state does have the ability through the Bolt decision and the 50-50 co-management obligation, they do have... Uh, insight. They are able to weigh in on how these fisheries are managed, even though the Quinaults pretty much run the systems in the hatcheries, okay? So just for clarification. Um, they're going to fish. You know, that Salmon River is one that a lot of folks look forward to. 
Uh, the state has said, hey, we're not fishing the Queets and the Quinault. The salmon, that lower section that persons have access to is actually federal park. Federal park mandate has that stretch of river open. A lot of you guys already know that. I'm not telling people anything we don't know. The problem is the state can't get that section closed for their conservation measures because it's federally uh, regulated. It would take an act out of D.C. to turn the page on that and make that happen. There's no time. So for the month of December, that lower section on that Salmon River is going to be open. I can tell you what, uh, it's going to be extremely crowded. You want to talk about limited bank access and folks just trying to get out there and find an opportunity to fish? That particular stretch of river is one of them because it dumps into the Queets. And in that state park, that section is open. Um, again, state's not open. Federal, yes. Tribal, yes. You can, you can pay for a walk-in guide on the salmon um, and, and Cook Creek and go ahead and go do those fisheries and, you know, support them. But you're not supporting the state's efforts in conservation, which may be concerning. All right. So, again, that's not an agreed to fishery. I'll be curious to see where this lands because all eyes are truly going to be on the managers, the co-managers of the tribal side to see where this ends up. Uh, steelhead fishing, the Willapop Bays, Rivers, and the Quileute in the Hoe uh, will allow catch and release of unmarked steelhead and a harvest of two hatchery steelhead fishing from a boat will not be permitted except on the main stem Quileute. Um, and of course, the uh, below the Highway 101 bridges on the Kalawa and the Bogusheel. So we did... After all the input from recreational folks and guides and everybody else having a say and trying to find checks and balances, they were able to, based on numbers and projections, to say, hey, we can fish from boats again uh, on the lower or mid to lower section of the Bogusheel and the Kalawa uh, below the 101 bridges, which I think, okay, um, that's great, except that if those are the only two rivers and those stretches that are allowing for drift boats, how crowded do you think those systems are going to be? And... We're going to have pressure on those rivers out of drift boats doing everything we used to do, with the exception, obviously, no bait, single barbless hook, all that, no scent, um, through, you know, through April. Okay, but the good takeaway is, hey, for, for guides and folks that would like to take their senior citizen uh, parents and, and older folks fishing who can't get in out of a boat all day long and had to give it up last year, here you go. Now we have opportunity to get back in the boat, run plugs, do some of those things we're accustomed to that uh, get friends and family and clients on fish. So there's a, there's a win in that regard, but I cannot imagine how crowded those couple rivers are going to be when we pigeonhole everybody just into a couple systems uh, with boat uh, access and opportunity. Um, uh, a couple things to uh, consider. WDFW put out a few stats, and it was pretty impressive. More than 1,000 people tuned in over the course of the four virtual town halls, which tells me there's a lot of persons interested in how this is going to land and where we do and do not get to fish as we move forward. Over 600 people had things to say, had insightful input, uh, wrote letters to WDFW, and were lobbying for what they wanted to see crafted or drafted as an end result on these fisheries. It's a complicated issue. If you missed a lot of the information that was put out there and have time to kill and want to catch up to see how we arrived, where we arrived, you can go to wdfw.wa.gov backslash coastal dash steelhead and you will find the, uh, all the recordings of all those meetings um, as, they, as they were presented. So where, you know, where did we land? What's my take on this whole thing? It uh, absolutely sucks is what it is. It, it, it sucks, but it is where we are, okay? Um, now, I would be a little remiss if I didn't say 
I'm not going to say I told you so, but I can remember years ago, eight years ago or so, Herzog and I sitting up in Seattle in the early mornings on radio, uh, having these discussions, Puget Sound Rivers closing to steelhead opportunity. We talked about the mass exodus of Puget Sound, Putropolis, and all the persons heading to the south and north coast. We talked about the excessive amount of pressure this was going to put on a number of these rivers, main stems and tributaries, and the impact it was going to have, especially out on the north coast, the Forks area, all those rivers, the pristine waters uh, at optimal time of wild fish catch and release opportunity. We talked about all of that. We talked about the impact it would have. And our hope was, God forbid, if this just turns it into another Puget Sound. Well, guess what, folks? Unfortunately, we're here. Okay, we are here. Uh, the same thing happened in Puget Sound, and now it's out here on the coast, and, and we got you know we, we got dealt this deal. Now we have to figure out how to get out of it. I can tell you this, the last thing we want to see, if we don't take these emergency closures, we're probably heading to an ESA listing. That is the very last thing we want to see. The, uh, the ESA listing... Uh, uh, you know, folks are sitting on their perches just waiting to hopefully see that issued. And then they start with the litigation and the lawsuits. The wild fish groups that love to put litigation against WDFW make managing our fisheries even that much more difficult. Um, there's something to be said about that. You, you, you stamp at ESA, one, you never get that removed. I mean, good luck, right? And once that's there, it just draws an, an, an immense telescope on every single move WDFW makes. And as soon as they cry foul and throw the flag, here come the lawsuits. And then it's tied up in litigation and who knows where we land. So we have to take these uh, extreme measures right now in hopes that we don't find ourselves in an ESA listing. Hopefully as we move forward, we have opportunity for a recovery plan, a steelhead management plan out of committee groups, Guide associations and WDFW working together with co-managers, we have to come up with a solution. Now, one thing looking ahead, the next few years, the ocean conditions look really good. Uh, Coho survivability, Chinook survivability this last year and two has been remarkable, but our steelhead are still suffering. Is it an ocean conditions issue or is it an out-migrant steelhead smote survivability issue? I think the latter is more so than the ocean conditions, but I guess time will tell. This is why we need a management plan moving forward to understand really what's our number one, two, and three priorities. Is it possible at some point to get all these collective conservation groups amongst Puget Sound and throughout the state, throughout the Northwest on board and how we approach this and get our conservation measures all working together? Wouldn't it be interesting if we had CCA, NSIA, uh, PSA, and all the other SAs out there collectively coming together and say, here's our number one, two, and three priority to get Steelhead back on the rebound here in Washington State and throughout the Pacific Northwest. That to me would be amazing. Everybody's vying for the last fish. Everybody's vying for their piece of the pie to say, hey, look what we did. Look at the efforts we put in. Look at how much money we got through donations and here's where we're spending it. Well, you know what? None of that seems to be working. Okay, we got seven and a half million people here in Washington State. 11% of those are card-carrying members of the fishing brigade. 11%, okay, that's 825,000 people 
Uh, and it's probably more than that due to COVID and whatnot. We're probably upwards of about a million persons that are fishing. Now, not all those people are steelhead fishing. We, we can assure you that because who wants to go out in the miserable time of winter and do some steelhead fishing? But I'm here to tell you, if 10% of those folks are steelhead fishing, we're talking 100,000 people throughout the course of a steelhead season, now pigeonholed into a small region within our state, okay? And trying to, you know, find that elusive creature that we all are so passionate about. If you grew up in the Northwestern Washington state, you are a bona fide steelhead fisherman through and through. Once you get into it, you just, it's one of those things that's in your blood, okay? 82,000, 100,000 people that are, that are going after that. I think we did a big disservice in our fisheries management years ago. This is just my opinion. I have no scientific data to back it up, but I've just looked at what's going on around us. The fact that we've got on the bandwagon of trying to bring back every stinking river to a wild fish level of, you know, whatever proportion, it's, it's an unachievable goal. It's not going to happen. We have too many people that want to fish, okay? It's a self-sustaining opportunity for this state to take advantage of. We need to get back to the days of where the Cowlitz River was one of those go-tos. You could fish the Cowlitz River year-round. Uh, winter steelhead, summer steelhead, spring chinook, fall salmon. It was just a cycle. Numbers, millions upon millions of fish were being planted into that river. And millions upon millions of people would fish that river over the course of a couple of years. So many guides made their living on the Cowlitz. Clients would go fish with these guides and have their first introduction to their first salmon or steelhead their first experience on a river in a drift boat or a sled, all of that's gone away. We need to look at this region for what it is. Heavily populated, development's not stopping, big tech is here, things are happening. We try to recover habitat, it's at a snail's pace. Salmon and steelhead recovery is on the brink of disaster. And we're, li- we're relying on wild fish group after wild fish group to come in and denote or detect, you know, say exactly how this is going to go down. What we need is to recognize certain main stem rivers, Cowlitz, uh, Skykomish, maybe a few other, other large uh, bodies of river, water, and say, these are a put-and-take fishery, folks. We're going to push hard on the hatchery input. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stock the heck out of these rivers with hatchery fish because we know we can. And we're going to also isolate these other rivers that we recognize and minimize the pressure on these rivers based on the fact that we have so much opportunity going on here, 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 and here that those big sleds are back off of these smaller tributaries. Those big sleds are now back earning a living on some of these bigger rivers, these bigger recognized bodies of water, these heavily stocked, hatchery stocked bodies of water where these fish are, where people want to go fishing and harvest, okay? How do we ever get fish recovery going on these wild fish if everybody's beating on them all the time? It's just not going to work. So I'm hoping as we move forward in the future, the ultimate pipe dream would be Let's focus on a recovery plan that involves both the utilization of hatchery fish, as hatchery and wild has proven to us time and time again, it works. But let's figure out which rivers are going to be put and take. And let's figure out which rivers we're going to really strive for recovery. And let's all get on board for those wild fish river recoveries and those put and takes to sustain our opportunities and sustain folks out there fishing. All right, that's my breakdown on the steelhead plan that's been dealt to us uh, through 2022, April of. And that's where that is at. So you got comments or questions, go ahead, hit me up here. If you tell me I'm full of it, go ahead, I'll take that too. That's all uh, good. Hey, we're going to jump out for a quick break in a minute or two. We come back, we're going to get our buddy Brian Lynn on the phone. Uh, You know, as of late, the commission has made some debacle of decisions in my my, uh, mind. And 
I think it's time to get a little perspective on some of these choices they're making. The fact that they've closed down a, a permit draw spring bear hunt that's been going on since I believe 1973 here in the state of Washington, arbitrarily just got rid of it for this year. But we all know how it goes once you get rid of something, good luck getting it back, okay? So I wanna get Brian's, uh, Brian's perspective on this thing from a national perspective. We'll introduce him, Brian Lynn, right here at Fish Hunt Northwest. We come back after this break. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride right here in Bremerton, Washington. Arima Boats offers all of our boats with Honda outboard packages so that you can take full advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. With literally thousands of Arima Boats on the water throughout the Pacific Northwest, Arima Boats are a proven hull design that offers incredible fuel economy and all of the amenities that a serious angler is looking for. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why we back our boats with a lifetime warranty. All of our Arima boats are designed to maximize deck space while also providing ample seating. Contact us today at Arima Boats for all your boating needs and let us help you get out on the water. Today, the need for quality private security services is at an all-time high. Contract Security Service provides day-to-day -day peace of mind as they protect people and property. Here at Phoenix, we provide service for multiple state and federal contracts with services ranging from uniform, patrol, alarm monitoring, canine detection, executive protection, as well as investigative work. Phoenix client management models are built on understanding our client's security needs and responding with a tailored program that is best fit for them. Phoenix provides excellent customer service through well-trained, highly motivated security professionals. Recruiting highly qualified officers is the first step in building a strong team. Currently, we are comprised of 70% prior law enforcement and military veterans. If you are prior military or law enforcement, go to www.phoenixprotectivecorps.com and apply today. Welcome back, Fish on Northwest. Wayne England sitting solo here in studio, as you all are well aware. But, uh, hey, we're getting through it. <laughs> I had to catch my breath after that last segment. I got on my soapbox, and uh, we get talking steelhead and steelhead management. I might have a few things to say. So, uh, with that, uh, next segment presented by Phoenix Protective Corp. In our backyard, and our guest on the phone this evening, my buddy Brian Lynn, Vice President of Communications and Marketing at Sportsman's Alliance. Brian, how are you doing, buddy? Good, Dwayne. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a while, and uh, a lot's been happening. And now, you know, with your current position, you've got a great perspective on things going around, not just here in Washington State, but across the nation. Uh, Sportsman's Alliance keeps tabs on a lot of things going on. You know, I, I like to surmise it as those things that interfere with our opportunity to get in the water or on the woods, and in your in your regard, on the wood or in the woods. So. Um, let's kind of, uh, let's kind of pull back the lens and, and have you take a look at this recent decision by our current sitting commission in, uh, the, the meeting last week. And I'm going to get into this later in the show here. I'm going to kind of probably go on my soapbox again, uh, as it relates to the current commission and some of these decisions, but you know, they got rid of our spring bear hunt and they like to soft sell that and say, well, it's just for one year. We're going to kind of gauge where it's at and uh, go from there, but we all know how that 
typically ends up. So we got rid of our spring bear hunt, one that's been in place, I believe, since 1973. What's your kind of personal take on that, and what's that? What's that kind of look like on a national level? Oh man, it's uh, yeah, it's the state is just circling the drain in so many regards. Uh, They're supposed to be a commission that's based on science and setting parameters for fish and wildlife to, you know, set our seasons and methods of take. They're not supposed to be a political group, but yet politics is a heavy hand that weighs in this from the governor to the appointees to the fact that people haven't been reconfirmed to seats, that there isn't equal distribution. There's supposed to be three over here in eastern Washington, three in western Washington, and three at large. Yeah. Eastern Washington one has been left unfilled for over a year now. Right. The chair, Carpenter, is sitting there with basically a noose around his neck and it hasn't been reappointed. There's another one that hasn't been reappointed. And outside of the two that are over here on the east side, everybody else is from the west side, you know? And that's just lopsided at best that, uh, you know, we're not represented equally over here on the east side where we have more land mass and frankly, more predators when it comes to bears and when it comes to coyotes and wolves and everything else. So, you know, it's a, it's not an equitable situation and science just gets thrown out the window uh, repeatedly, whether it's the bear issue or the wolf issue, science from trained biologists, Mm -hmm. they are presenting it and it just gets muddied up and doubt cast on it or outright just rejected, which is what has happened with the bear thing and, and with the wolves and talking points are brought up and it's to appease the I five corridor animal rights activist, urban dweller and their interests. And this is a national issue. I mean, we're seeing this, you know, I call it the greening of fish and game departments nationwide, but we're also seeing attacks on commission on commission game commissions, uh, Vermont three years straight. They've tried to, changed the makeup of the game commission to require non-consumptive representation, bikers, hikers, skiers. Yeah. This last session, the third time they did it, they didn't go after the game commission directly, which they did the two previous times. They went after and tried to establish a board that would oversee the commission, just government getting bigger, a board that oversees the commission would, would then would approve or reject anything that the commission came up with. So basically, a board in and of itself, you know, that had representation of non-consumptive users. Yeah. Uh, New Hampshire, it's happened multiple times as well. And now there's active legislation in Michigan to do the same thing. Let me ask you this, Brian, do you, do you know, uh, having kind of put eyes on some of this going on around the nation now, obviously our commission here is appointed by our governor. Do you know if that holds true in most of those other states and in areas that you're speaking of? Um, or do you know if there's any existence where the people actually vote in these commissioner seats? I started asking that question because when you think about other persons titled with commissioner, fire commissioner, uh, you know, school, school board uh, representatives, different persons that sit on commissions of all facets, um, a lot of those positions are public positions political positions that are voted into by the public. But yet here in Washington state, one of the highest commissions sitting in the land, the fish and wildlife commission is appointed by one individual. 
And it's at his choosing is exactly why we have the makeup we do currently. We have uh, Chairman Carpenter, who's been extended a year beyond his uh, end date uh, with no direction as to what is in the future for him. And we have a vacant seat, as you alluded to, that is yet to be filled. And I'm not sure exactly when that's going to happen. Yeah, no, that uh, that's exactly the problem here and, and uh, what they hope to accomplish in other places. As far as how it's done, it's done differently in every state. Sometimes it's an appointment position. Sometimes it has to be, you know, Senate confirmed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a group of uh, sportsmen groups or whatever that have, you know, that promote whoever they want to and put them up and then it goes through the process. Uh, usually in most every state, or a lot of them, there are requirements. You have to have held a fish, fishing or hunting license like five of the last 10 years yeah. or two of the last three or something like that. So a lot of times the Humane Society of the United States and Center for Biological Diversity or little local groups try to remove those thresholds. Right. Take it down. You don't have to know anything about it. You don't have to promote hunting and fishing. That's not the goal. The goal is what they're trying to do now in Washington and change it to non-consumptive use and change literally change the mission of fish and game which is what's happening in washington now they're trying to do that here yeah good point what uh, what kind of message do you think this sends uh on the national platform you know other other states looking at us i mean let's face it washington state uh, especially king county has become known nationwide as such a liberal standout it's in the news all the time for all types of things and now we have a commission that has become so passive and can't even make a decision on proper methods and usage of, you know, options for predator management, as you have man- uh, mes- uh, mentioned earlier. Um, it, it, it's exactly the direction I believe our current sitting governor wants to see things going. But what do you think this looks like to other, well, I'll just say, you know, other liberal states as they look at the direction Washington Fish and Game are going? How, how do you think this is going to create movement elsewhere in the nation? Oh, it, it totally emboldens them. I mean, this is this has been the game plan and a tactic from the Humane Society of the United States all along. They win a small victory someplace, so they just took away uh, spring bear hunting here. They're going to take that to the next state that they see, you know, that's the liberal on the liberal spectrum, yeah. but not as far out here as Washington. They're going to take it there, and they're going to say, look at Washington. They aren't cruel to their bears in the spring. They understand the sows and the cubs and da-da-da-da-da, their emotional message, and say, Oregon, you need to get with it, or California, or it's already out, but yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Who's ever left, choose, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they can use it as leverage, you know, and then they can point to Washington. Look, they're talking about changing the direction and the mission of, of the State Department. We all need to be doing this. This is, you know, intelligent and enlightened and, you know, compassionate, and it's all emotional stuff, you know. As far as our game commission being weak and not making a decision, I just think it's, uh, yeah, they're, uh, it's not that they can't make a decision. It's that there are forces that don't want the decision to be made, the proper decision, the scientific decision yeah. to be made. Yeah, they're really, playing in the, the they're really playing in the hands of the emotional decision-making process. It's no longer scientific-based. It's completely emotion-driven by the zookeepers and, you know, the base that they're trying to appease and, uh, you know, these uh, this soft approach to everything. It's uh, really disheartening, considering that, you know, the hunting population in our state is 2 to 
And if any of this type of conversation makes it out there onto a ballot or initiative, we've seen what's happened with that previously yeah. when that stuff hits the, the ballot box and you're talking about removing hounds and the usage of, you know, bear and cat hunting. And now look at our predation populations and some of the issues going on in the Blue Mountains that we're going to tackle next week because uh, this is so uh, so new and what was stated today out of the commission meeting, uh, people are just left with their jaw on the floor. It is unbelievable. So if you don't hunt in Washington State but enjoy recreation and let's say you predominantly focus on fishing, should you be concerned with some of these decisions that are coming out of the current seated commission uh, as it relates to management, conservation, and some of the decisions they're making on on our uh, opportunity to hunt or not. Yeah, you're, you're damn skippy. You should. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's a the the overarching tactic here is to keep moving goalposts. Right. Just keep moving the goalposts. That was good. This is better. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And when they run out of things to slice and dice away, whether that's hound hunting or using bait or the spring hunt or the makeup of the commission, Mm -hmm. they're going to keep going. And the fact that they aren't using science when the scientists are presenting it to them and they just choose to either muddy it up, which is what Lorna Smith, I just watched the wolf thing. (laughs) She just loves to do. Oh my gosh. All these hands and butts with it. And then says something stupid that why are we targeting hunting or the uh, predators? Why aren't we going after you know, and removing hunting opportunities, you know, well, because predators kill 80% of the calf recruitment lady, we're, we're talking about calf recruitment here. The hunters aren't killing 80% of the calves. Right. The predators, are. the fact yeah. that she can't understand that is either she doesn't understand the science in which she should not be in this position, or mm-hmm. she chooses to ignore it and muddy it up, which is a disservice to fish and wildlife and the biologists and scientists who are working on this stuff and working hard. Yeah. Yeah, so 100%. It's one of the two. Either she doesn't understand it or she's doing it on purpose, which is not like what the function should be, nor should she be qualified to be on the, on the board. Really, the only uh, resolution, uh, persons who enjoy the outdoors, fishing and hunting, and uh, you know are active in conservation, the only option we have is when Governor Inslee appoints that next commissioner uh, individual. Um, the Senate has to confirm them at some point. So... Unless people get busy and inundate their senators with letters of resistance to say no, um, you know, those people get confirmed. And once they're confirmed, it's a six-year deal. So uh, right now, that's our only move, right? As as avid hunters and anglers, if we have a a name submitted in there that Ansley puts in the seat, we have to rally and and make sure our government hears from us that we do not want this uh, non-supportive individual in there making decisions on the future of fishing and hunting in Washington State, when they uh, would just as soon ignore all the science and and cater to the emotional base. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I'll go one step further. You have to elect those representatives and senators to begin with. Uh, there you because go. if they're not of your ilk, it doesn't matter how much you yell and scream or call or how many uh, letters you write in their mind and their politics are already made up. And if they're looking to pass something else, politics plays a role and you're not going to get the vote. So getting the right people in to begin with is most important. But then from there, yeah, we are as a group apathetic and reactionary. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that is the way the model set up. They get to pick and choose. They're always on offense. They yeah. get to pick and choose what they want to go after. They can line everything up. They can get all their soldiers in order and come out with their messaging when they want to. 
And so we are left to respond, but we are very apathetic by and large to doing that. Like yeah. if you just pick up your phone and 10 or 15 guys call into their representative or legislator or whatever ilk and tell them, you know, the whys and hows of why you oppose something or support yeah. it, they start paying attention because people are apathetic in general and not engaged in the political system. Yeah. So yeah. not signing the change.org petition, that doesn't do anything. Right. You have to pick up the phone. You have to call. You have to make that connection and make your voice heard straight at the source. Yep, you have to be heard. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it. Uh, always good insight from you, uh, especially with your position and all that you are aware of what is going on. As we delve into this a little deeper here, move into the Blue Mountains, start talking ungulate populations and the demise of secondary depredation, uh, we may just need to get you back on the phone. So, uh, hey, holler anytime, buddy. Got it, buddy. All right, appreciate it. Have a good night. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Take care. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Brian Lynn. Let me turn that off. Brian Lynn. Uh, long, long standing advocate for conservation and hunting, vice president of communications and marketing at Sportsmen's Alliance. Okay, uh, running just a bit behind, but no big deal. This next uh, bit of information we're going to delve into is going to be fantastic. Hopefully, <laughs> he answers the phone when I call him, doesn't think that I forgot about him. Brett Rosen, president of Fish Northwest, has some great information you need to hear, and we're going to get to that right after this break here at Fish Hunt Northwest. Sportco, an outdoor emporium, is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer, offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. It's easier than ever to browse homes and connect with an agent on the go with Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate's mobile app. With the app, your home search is synced across all of your devices, so you can pick up your home search anytime, anywhere. Take full advantage of an enriched, mobile-optimized map search experience. Use location services to quickly find homes near you that match your search criteria. Draw your own map boundaries to find homes in a specific area, and apply layers to view school districts, neighborhoods, zip codes, and more. The app's user-friendly design makes it easier than ever to find a home you'll love. Narrow down your search results, save your search criteria, and save your favorite homes. You can browse your saved homes in a list view that puts photos and key details, like price and square footage, right at your fingertips. Or check out your saved homes displayed on the map. Welcome back, Fish Hunt Northwest. Wayne England sitting here in studio as we kind of wind down the show. But before we get out of here... Our next guest has been waiting patiently. Fisheries, what you need to know, presented by Better Homes and Gardens Pacific Commons. This week's guest is Brett Rawson, uh, president of Fish Northwest. Not a first time to the show, and glad to have you back. How you doing, Brett? Very good, Dwayne. Thanks for having us again. We appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. Well, you guys got some, you know, movement happening over there at uh, Fish Northwest uh, as it relates to your lawsuits moving forward in the court system um as it was basically posted on your fish northwest facebook page the u.s district court determines that fish northwest has sufficient legal standing and rejects the motion to dismiss the court case so kind of put that in layman terms for those tuning in so we can understand exactly where you guys are at now and if you're hopeful for the future yeah we're real hopeful this is a this has been a great uh 
thing for us at, at this point. We we launched this lawsuit about eight months ago, and we kind of had a couple goals in mind. First was the Section 7 permit issue, which we got straightened out pretty quickly. Um, the state now has the ability to, to get its own permit should it want to pursue one. And uh, they didn't even try that before. They didn't think they could, and we, we proved that they could, and we showed that they, they can go get it if they want. I doubt that Susquehanna's going to do it, but we'll see what happens uh, yeah. north of Falcon. Um, but the second part of that lawsuit was the Endangered Species Act part, and it's really, um, it comes down to over-harvest of, of fish in the rivers or in the terminal areas. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is, is that over-harvest is contributing to the fact that uh, a lot of, you know, native fish or, or, or wild fish, whatever you want to call them, aren't making it back. And a lot of the cuts that Puget Sound has been experienced are based on that very topic or that very fact right there that the, the wild fish return is in decline. And um, we looked at that National Marine Fisheries' own data. We looked at the data that came actually from the government. And what we saw was that um, they were exceeding their own thresholds. They, they, they set what they called RERs, or human exploitation rates. And um, they set those as, as benchmarks, as goals that they were going to try and hit to ensure recovery of these, of these stocks throughout uh, the different rivers in Puget Sound. And um, lo and behold, they were exceeding their own benchmarks, their, their own goals, their own set limits. And in some cases, they were exceeding them by, by a, a large margin. And we were kind of dumbfounded. We're like, well, the agency that's responsible for overseeing, implementing, and, and ensuring that the Endangered Species Act is, is, is put in place and followed and that we re- recover these fish is actually turning a blind eye to a certain user, user group and allowing overheart to take place. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, we made this part of the bedrock of basically the bedrock of our, of our lawsuit, our second lawsuit. And, uh, when we put our case to the court, of course, the, the attorneys for NIMS uh, came back and, and basically hit us with all kinds of technical, uh, objections and, and procedural objections. And they just asked the, the judge to dismiss the entire thing. Some on procedural issues and, and others on, on more technical issues with, with regard to, uh, fisheries management mm. and the judge came back just a couple of weeks ago and said that he was in fact going to dismiss um the different sections of the case but um he did so under two different guidelines if you will one was with prejudice one was without prejudice and um basically when when something is dismissed with prejudice it means game over nothing else can be uh you know n- no other thing can be said about it or heard right. about it he's, he's decided but uh, the, main, the meat and potatoes of the, of the lawsuit, he left in place because he dismissed it uh, um, with prejudice. And what that means is um, he was asking us for, for more amplifying information and more just, just he, basically what he was saying was give us more information so we can see what you guys are trying to get out here. So we did just that, and uh, we kind of bolstered our case and gave us some information. And he came back just, uh, just a, a couple of days ago and said, hey, uh, okay, um, this, this case is going to move forward. And that was a, that was a big step for us. Um, moving forward, basically, the, the, the way it's written, um, he affirmed two things. And one is standing, and standing is really important when it mm-hmm. comes to a legal uh, case. You can't just sue somebody because you're not happy or because you're, cause you're, you're mad about something. You actually have to have a, a legal case, and you have to have some kind of injury shown to the, to the people that are, that are uh, to the folks that are bringing the, the lawsuit about. Uh, so we had to show that, that we, as Fish Northwest and the fishermen in Puget Sound, are being uh, hurt by the actions of NIMPS, and we had to show that we had a, a kind of a dog in this fight, you know, in a sense. 
and the judge came back and, and affirmed both those things that we uh, we actually do have uh, you know we do have injury and that we do have a, a legal a, a legal challenge here that's that's credible and legitimate. And then secondly, you know, he by by doing that he uh, he basically rejected the idea of, of dismissing our entire case. So. You know, by by setting forth basically a calendar that says he wants certain things done by certain dates, going up through uh, starting in December all the way up through May, he basically says, "I want this thing heard. I want it done. I want it wrapped up by May." So, you know, we haven't won yet. We this this isn't uh, this isn't a slam dunk for us. But what this means, we passed the, the two biggest hurdles that uh, were put out in front of us so far, which was standing and then um, the dismissal request. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, you know is is you know. There's cause for celebration, but yet there's still a lot of work to do. Um, you guys have gone farther, uh, <laughs> farther than anybody else has ever taken on this this type of uh, activity at this level. So hats off to you. Um, there there should be nothing but good things to come from this. I want to back up real quick on the permitting side of things. So basically, WDFW has been made aware due to your guys' diligence and the the efforts you put in and what you were able to show, and that. They can go obtain a permit, and it's not going to be one of those things where, gosh, even back in 2015, 2016, when we were in 2016, I guess, when we were uh, dealt this and, and thought, well, maybe it's time for WDFW to go get their own permit. And then it was, you know, the rumor mill started swirling, and it was, well, they really can't. It would be, it would take a year and a half for them to get permitted, and it's just not going to happen. That doesn't seem to be the case. It doesn't sound like now. I mean, you guys have paved the way to show them that this can be done, and it seems like. From what I'm hearing, it could be done in a timely fashion that would be suitable for us to ensure our fishing season separate from the co-managers if it came to that. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It can be done if the will is there. Um, you know, what we were being told by Ron Warren back on to 2015, 2016 was that, you know, our, hey, guys, our hands are tied. If we don't agree to this, um, if, we, if we try to go it our own way, you guys won't fish for a year and a yeah. half. So, you know, a, a bad deal is better than no deal. That was kind of the the, the things we used to hear from these from, yep, the, from the department. Exactly. Yep. And uh, so every year we would watch our seasons just, just get clobbered. You right. know, we watched this, this cascading effect of, of, of cuts just year after year after year until we're down to nothing. That kind of put us where we are now. Yeah. And the, the whole time they're telling us, oh, you know, we just need our own permit and everything will be fine. And then we can stand our ground and we can, we can be toe-to-toe with the, with the co-managers when we go into these negotiations. But year after year, they wouldn't get their permit. They wouldn't pursue it. And uh, and they would tell us, finally, at one point, they told us they couldn't get it. Yeah. So, you know, that was <laughs> one thing we looked at. And, and it turned out to be complete crap. You know, right, they right. couldn't get it. They just, yeah. they just never pushed. They never they never pushed NIMS or NOAA uh, in, in the right, right way. And all we had to do was, was, was bring some legal action. And lo and behold, NOAA rolled over. So, yeah, well, there you, know. you go. So I would I would think they would utilize that moving forward. If uh, negotiations in NOF seem to be going sideways and getting tough, they can actually posture up and go, "Hey, uh, we're not a, we're not <laughs> we're not exactly afraid to just go get our own permit. You guys do your thing, and if you can get your fisheries authorized by NOAA, great, because we're going to go pursue ours. I don't think it'll come to that. I think they have a cohesive relationship to a point. But that being said. You know, some of the things that come out of North of Falcon are always concerning and more so frustrating. So I appreciate you guys doing yeah. that line of work. Yeah, Dwayne, you know, the, the, the environment down there or the, the, the tone down there is go along to get along. Yeah. And uh, that, that tone is set by Director Susswin, and he's the one that, that, that basically has the, the final say on everything. 
And his number one goal is to get along with the commanders no matter what, even sure. if that means throwing you and me under the bus. Well, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Well, in both regards, those, uh, you know, you're making headway. And uh, again, hats yep. off to Fish Northwest and what you guys are doing. And can't wait to see where this kind of culminizes as we move into the spring. And, and it's going to tie in time-wise with what's happening in North of Falcon. So this, <laughs> this will be kind of interesting to see where this lands in the courts and uh, what yeah, the final decision of, that, that calendar that the judge set worked out really in our favor. That wasn't planned, but it worked out really nicely where, uh, you know, this thing is going to come come down right at the end of North of Falcon, right as the uh, list of agreed-to fisheries, the loaf is, is signed. Sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm gonna they're going to have a hard time, you know, signing an agreed uh, a, a loaf that is in violation of the Endangered Species Act when they know a court order is coming, holding their feet to the fire. Yeah. So this is going to be interesting to see how this, how this all plays out. Yeah. You know, we didn't, I can't, I'd like to say we, we, we planned it that way, but we didn't. It just kind of worked out that way. But that's well, going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting, you know, March, April, and May. Yeah, absolutely. So. You and I both know good things happen for good reasons to good people. So, uh, again, yep. well done. Um, you know, appreciate all the efforts you guys, you and Mark and the crew are putting in over there. And uh, we'll keep abreast of what's going on. And if we got to get you back sometime in the spring or whatever, we get some movement on this thing. We are here for you to let everybody know exactly what's happening and how uh, how this is paying out. So, yeah, I just want to make a plug there, Dwayne. For yeah. uh, go to our website uh, at www.fishnorthwest.org. Okay, and uh, you can read up on everything we've been doing. You can read our whole background, our history, everything we're about. All all the court cases or, or court documents are listed on there. Um, all the posts that we make on Facebook are also put on on our website and then there's two options for donating you can send a check or you can uh, use paypal and uh, we are definitely in donations at this point you know, this is where heavy this is going to be going on in six months or so okay and uh, you know attorney fees are, are quite expensive and they've got a lot of folks that are giving very generously and we really appreciate that but we really need to more folks to step up and uh, help this last uh, push here on the second lawsuit yeah, fantastic. All right, we'll uh, we'll post that information on our Facebook page as well. Link it over to you guys so folks can get on there, read up on all the court proceedings, and uh, if they're inclined and want to help out, they know where they can donate their money and for the causes for. So, all right, Brett, appreciate it. Uh, Brett Rosen, President of Fish Northwest, always a pleasure, my friend. Keep in touch. Thanks, Wayne. All right. Take care. Yep. Have a good night. Bye. All right, there we go. Some uh, some really good positive information coming from Brett as uh, he has presented the last couple times he's been on the show. Some good things coming out of Fish Northwest as we move in. You know, next spring, uh, as he had uh, stated, the timing of this thing as it finalizes in the courts, um, coinciding with that busy time of year that Tommy and I will continue to cover, that is all of North of Falcon as we go from January into March. It's going to be an interesting conversation to have, no doubt about it. All right, we are, uh, we are about done here, but before we go, we're going to jump out for a break. We come back to close out the show. I'm going to give you a little spin on my take on the current position of the commission, who's currently sitting there, and what they stand for. We're going to get into that right here at Fish on Northwest. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride right here in Bremerton, Washington. Arima Boats offers all of our boats with Honda outboard packages so that you can take full advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. With literally thousands of Arima Boats on the water throughout the Pacific Northwest, Arima Boats are a proven hull design that offers incredible fuel economy and all of the amenities that a serious angler is looking for. 
All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why we back our boats with a lifetime warranty. All of our Arima boats are designed to maximize deck space while also providing ample seating. Contact us today at Arima Boats for all your boating needs and let us help you get out on the water. Today, the need for quality private security services is at an all-time high. Contract Security Service provides day-to-day -day peace of mind as they protect people and property. Here at Phoenix, we provide service for multiple state and federal contracts with services ranging from uniform, patrol, alarm monitoring, canine detection, executive protection, as well as investigative work. Phoenix client management models are built on understanding our client's security needs and responding with a tailored program that is best fit for them. Phoenix provides excellent customer service through well-trained, highly motivated security professionals. Recruiting highly qualified officers is the first step in building a strong team. Currently, we are comprised of 70% prior law enforcement and military veterans. If you are prior military or law enforcement, go to www.phoenixprotectivecorps.com and apply today. Hey, welcome back, Fish on Northwest. Wayne England here in studio as we wind down and close out the show. A couple things I want to make sure we get in. Before we leave it, uh, kind of laying out there till next week. There's so much going on right now. It's so confusing as to truly what's happening. And how can there be such a you know push politically? It's, it's interesting. I find I have conversations with folks all the time. I didn't get into fishing and hunting to talk politics. Well, Neither did I, <laughs> nor did I actually think I'd be doing a show at some point that involves so much politics. But unfortunately, and I want to reemphasize that, unfortunately, a lot of the decisions being made are so political in the efforts at times to keep us off the water and out of the woods. It's just mind boggling. And it's like it's not going to stop. And it's not going to stop uh, at any point. So we, as sports persons and recreational hunters and fishers and those who enjoy the outdoors and doing your part for conservation. You can't let up. You have to be educated and uh, aware, aware of your surroundings and aware of who it is in those persons making these decisions that are costing us time in the opportunities that we should be given, okay? So I took time a week and a half ago. I watched the commission meeting as they discussed the spring black bear hunt. Now, as you may have been tuned in earlier, and I had Brian Lynn on the phone, and I asked him point blank, if I don't hunt, and I do, but if I don't hunt, do or should I care uh, what the commission decides as it relates to a spring black bear hunt in Washington State? When they get rid of something that we've had an opportunity to do since 1973, as one who maybe only fishes in the state of Washington a handful of times a year, uh, should, I, should I care? Does it affect me? Well, yeah, it does. Because it's the commission's decision-making process that we're talking about here. It's the persons sitting on the commission currently who have been appointed by our governor who are making the decisions. Um, every time we turn around, it's something else. Last week or week and a half ago was spring black bear. Now, let me put it in perspective for you. It basically was suspended amid public outcry from the from the uh, animal rights activist groups who are getting to a, a handful of persons on the commission who come from former occupations where they dealt with, built relationships with animal rights activist groups, okay? 
So now these persons who are well-educated are sitting on our Fish and Wildlife Commission, who is assigned in their positions to write policy, give direction to WDFW, the director and WDFW in decision-making process and how they write regulations. It's, it's an entire process that we are subjected to. And the person sitting in these nine seats, currently eight, because our governor hasn't felt it was important enough to fill that ninth seat, we have an imbalanced balance, okay? We have eight persons on the commission, whereby if we have a 4-4 split in a decision, four yes, four no, as we did with the spring bear decision, that automatically defaults to a no because it's not a majority vote. So if you're sitting in your governor's office and have a handful of issues you want to have dealt with over the next year or two and realize that you and persons that you communicate with and animal rights activist groups that you communicate with, if those influencers can continue to influence the position of some of our folks on the commission, then a 4-4 split is a win every time if you are over here in the no category on moving forward on some of our opportunities. And the bear, the spring bear decision uh, is not the last. There's more things coming down the pipe here in the near short that is going to blow people's minds that I'm fearful of because it's really setting the tone for the future of our fishing and hunting in Washington State. I don't believe it's a disservice to refer to the last two appointees, Kuntz and uh, Smith, on the commission as zookeepers because that's exactly what they are. This is exactly what they were. It's where they come from. The persons they tie in with are the animal rights activist groups. They're not there lobbying for us to have access to hunting and fishing. They could care less. They're going to cater to their base. It was proven in the meeting that I watched uh, in, as it relates to the spring bear. It was very apparent today in the commission meeting that I have yet to watch, but I have been on the phone with many people as it relates to the, the mortality rate of newborns, elk and deer herds, in the Blues Mountains, and the amount of uh, newborns that are that succumb to predation, the numbers are staggering. Okay, these animals were collared, and they have scientific data to support their demise. And we have commissioners who are questioning the scientific data. We have commissioners that are questioning the threshold of carrying capacity. Well, maybe we need to lower the number because the expectation of the current number that you are seeking is too high. Thereby, remove the hunters from the game because if we're going to be able to maintain that number, we can't be killing animals. Disregard the fact that 80% of newborn uh, elk and deer succumb to predation. This is what I'm talking about, this passive uh, stance on this stuff. Last year, the handwriting was on the wall the first time you heard them speak anything about predation management as, a re as it relates to wolves. They got in line with Governor Inslee, who, by the way, I'll remind you, previously, a year or two previous, sought outside uh, information, sought outside input from, from activist groups and leaders throughout different parts of the nation uh, in seeking information on how to handle the wolf situation so as not to be in a position of having to euthanize any of the wolves that were uh, creating issues. These depredation issues 
with ranchers, Inslee wanted to resolve with outside groups when in fact we have a committee that's been formed, well-formed committee for years with persons of all different walks of life here in the state of Washington that all have a say in how this wolf management program has been going. And up until that point, it's been working very well. And then all of a sudden we get a governor that says, disregard what they're telling us. I'm going to go talk to these people over here on the East Coast and see what they have to say. Now we have commissioners sitting on the bench that are making decisions that affect you and I and our ability to be in the water, or in the woods and on the water. Okay, the, the spring black bear was an absolute, absolute disgusting and horrible uh, process to observe and the decisions that came out of there. Uh, Strobel was uh, quoted in saying, I'm confident that most Washingtonians would depose if they knew about it. Okay, uh, Concerning knowing that uh, only 3% of our state population hunts, uh, this, is, this is that mob mentality. So put it out there to make sure everybody is aware of your opinion that hunting bears in the spring is absolutely disgusting. 97% of the population in this state would probably agree with that because they don't hunt. They don't get educated on the subject, so they just go with the mass mob mentality. It's on the ballot. Oh, I heard something about it. Yeah, let's, uh, let's vote to close that down. The fact that they shot it down for a year to take a look at it, really, you honestly think we're getting it back? If they have time to put it on any form of a, an initiative or move it forward in any type of a voting opportunity in the state of Washington to close it permanently, they will. What do you think happened to the ability to hunt with dogs, uh, hunt cougars and bears with dogs? Now we have a predation issue in this state on our ungulate populations in certain regions that our commission currently, as it's seated, is not willing to pay attention to. Okay? So... Uh, some of the things that came out of the meeting. According to Stephanie uh, Simak, the agency's large carnivore sections manager, Stephanie's been doing this for years. Uh, studies show that spring bear hunting accounts for less than 2% of cub mortality in the state of Washington. In 2020, there were 294 permits. This is a draw, this is a permit or draw uh, type of hunting opportunity. So it's not like we have thousands of people hunting spring bears. There were 294 permits authorized in 2020. 145 bears were harvested in the spring of 2020. Of those 145 bears, 45 were sows. One of them was a lactating female, which is the huge red flag for Lorena Smith, one of your current zookeeper commissioners. Okay? Huge red flag, one lactating female. Now I get it. The, the emotional side of things want to present that as it's devastating to abandoned cubs in the wild. They're not going to make it. Chances are they're going to be eaten by boars. That's how nature works, okay? But scientific data has been proven and brought forth by biologists in the field who really have their hooks into this stuff, present the information to the commission. We don't have a concern. Our bear population is twenty-five to 30,000, okay? Uh, one lactating female was killed last spring by a hunter. Uh, right or wrong, whether you agree with it or not, okay? The, the probability of one, two, or three abandoned cubs is there, okay? One out of 30,000 bears. Um, but the information presented by staff, supported by Siswin, in his uh, stance, he laid in to say, hey, uh, staff has provided solid information. We don't feel we have a concern. The spring bear hunt has gone on for an extremely long time with no issues. 
The bear population is thriving in Washington state. We don't have a concern uh, for spring bear and spring bear mortality. The number of permits issued is this, the harvest rate or percentage is this, and so we don't have a concern. The commission waived off all that information, supported by the director, and basically came to a 4-4, okay? It's concerning, um, more so because it ended up at a 4-4. Larry Carpenter had the final say. Now, I've known Larry for a very long time. I've had great conversations with Larry Carpenter over the years. He currently sits as the chair uh, person on the commission, has been there for a while, his term was up a year ago. Inslee has, uh, you know, elongated it, so he is still there. I feel Larry is in a position of political pressure. Um, he is in that seat for an unknown amount of time. And the fact that the commission made it a point in the meeting, if you could read through the weeds and understand, he was waiting to the very end to seal the deal, put his stamp on this thing because of, I feel, and many others who I've talked to the last couple of days, he was getting pressure from above, whether it was from directly at the governor's office, JT, or whoever's uh, leveraging against Larry. Larry was put in a position to make a decision on a no vote, okay, knowing that there were three other no votes. And what does that mean? Carpenter, Barbara Baker, Fred Kuntz, and Lorna Smith, the two zookeepers, stamped it with a no, guaranteed no. And they're, you know, for Kuntz and Smith, their information and their basis for saying no was absolutely ridiculous. It comes down to emotional base, driven by emotional base, uh, you know, trying to appease their people and, and not going with the science. They're supposed to be scientific in their delivery. They're supposed to take this information in. It's basically a disservice and a slap to the face of those field biologists who do the work and put forth the effort. This is not on the, this blood is not on the hands of WDFW. This is solely on your commission. So you can't be pissed off at WDFW because they presented accurate data. The commission decided to disregard all of that, go with the emotional base, and make these decisions. So that was a no. Jim Anderson, Molly Linville, who uh, made it a point to say, hey, we are, it is our responsibility and duty to represent the 2 to 3% of those that hunt in the state of Washington and not be overrun by the majority of those who do not, and not make this an emotionally based decision, but a decision based on science. She was spot on in that regard, and credit to her for saying so. Don McIsaac stood up for it and said, this needs to go through. This is not an issue that we need to change. It's, it's, uh, it's working. There's no reason to not. And Kim Thornburn uh, kind of caught me off guard. She was a yes vote. So it was a 4-4, but in the end, it doesn't matter. Okay, a 4-4 currently in this, this makeup of our current commission is a no vote. All right? Um, I just have issues with the direction things are going. It's time for people to stand up and start talking about it and be aware of what's happening. Um, Travis Hall, writer associated with the Mediator Group, during the same meeting, Commissioner Fred Koontz, a retired zoologist who occupies the commissions at large, position and resides in King County, echoed the sentiments of Chairwoman Baker, saying that WDFW Commission has an obligation to monitor public's perception of hunting and to take that into account when setting policy. So our policy is being set based on public perception, emotion, okay? Conserv- or, uh, uh, you know, animal rights activist groups. It's not being set, policy is not being set or driven by science. That should concern you. That's all I got to say about that. So 
very frustrating. More to come on that because I'm telling you right now, the things that came out today as it relates to the Blue Mountains, it, it's just I can't even, I don't even know if I'll be able to sleep tonight. I will, but we'll see. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish on Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and, of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.